Let me ask you a question. If you have a really important exam or presentation the next day, will you stay up late to prepare for it? Do you think you actually could perform better just because you prepare for it longer by sacrificing your sleep? You are wrong. So the sleep research tells us if you want to remember things better and perform better, sleep is the key. Hi, I'm Dr. Ishan, a board-certified behavioral sleep medicine specialist. So today we have assistant professor Dr. Schettman from UCR1 to share with us the research behind memory consolidation and sleep. Hello, Dr. Schettman. Welcome to Deep Into Sleep podcast. Hi, great to be here. Very excited. I know you are a great researcher in the field of uh, memory and sleep. So how about you introduce yourself briefly to our audience before we get started? Sure. Uh, so my name is Eitan Schechtman. I'm an uh, assistant professor at the University of California, Irvine, uh, head of the um, Cognitive Neuroscience of Sleep lab here. It's a pretty new lab. We just uh, opened up the last year, uh, but we're already running some uh, very exciting studies. Before that, I was a postdoctoral fellow at Northwestern University. I did my, most of my uh, studies before that in Israel at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem uh, before moving here to Irvine. Cool. Wow, so it sounds like you are opening something really new and exciting in UCR1. What brought you into this field and brought all this like new change to this field? So I was really excited about research into sleep and memory for starting a few years ago, because I really felt like this black box of sleep's impact on cognition is now starting to crack open. So over 2000 years ago, um, there were already um, writings talking about how sleep may improve memory or may improve cognition that lingered on throughout that period of time, but really only in the last couple of decades, the tools in neuroscience and in psychology have developed to the level that we are starting to get a peek into that box. And I was really excited to have an opportunity to peek into that black box of sleep. And we, we spend so much time of our lives asleep and we know so little about what's going on. Uh, I think initially for many years, sleep was kind of considered this offline period. Just like when you put your computer to sleep, it means that it's not doing anything. And actually, the animal neuroscience literature, uh, and I can talk a bit more about that, 30 years ago, started to open up this idea that really the brain is processing information during sleep. So it's not that the brain is not idle. The brain is not offline. It's actually doing something. It's up to us to discover what it is. And with the development of these new tools, um, both, cause, both causal manipulations, so ways to impact what the sleep is doing, what the brain is doing during sleep, but also uh, neuroimaging tools that will allow us to, again, peek into uh, operations of working brain during sleep. Those advances brought me to this field and uh, still uh, excite me to this day. And I think a lot of the, the most notable advances that we'll think about in, in a few decades have yet to happen. This is a field that's really blooming and it's exciting to be here at this at this time yes wow very exciting i'm very excited about sleep too i most, mostly do like sleep treatment to treat insomnia 
And so uh, based on my limited knowledge, I know sleep is a kind of new field, right? All this research, our knowledge to sleep is very limited. And uh, it's it's like more than 50 years of work, but that's very young field. And also I did learn, so basically when we sleep, part of our brain still working. And when we are awake, part of our brain possibly not working. So it's always, there's a balance between working, not working, rest, or being active. And also, I think past in the past several years, there are popular books and popular, you know, influencers talking about, well, sleep, if you're, you're sleep deprived, it may relate to dementia. Clinically, I saw a lot of patients got super anxious about dying early, about, you know, losing sleep is a horrible consequence. So I want to ask you, uh, since you know the research very well. So what's the relationship between memory and sleep exactly? What do we know so far? It's actually very layered. There's a lot of different uh, arms of this uh, research. One of them, for example, talks about how we learn new things after sleep and how sleep deprivation prevents us from learning new information after a night of uh, a sleep or, or lack thereof. My research is mostly on how things that we've learned before are processed during sleep. So this process is called memory consolidation. For almost 100 years since the first study came out, we've been aware that sleeping actually uh, serves memory better than an equivalent time awake. Back 100 years ago, it wasn't entirely clear if it's just the fact that sleep is this lack of interference, so you don't have these new events happening. So maybe that is what we can uh, what, what we can uh, kind of hang the this this idea of the the improvement to memory on but with time it became more and more clear that this is actually an active process so there's something happening during sleep that actually cements these memories in our brains from a neuroscience perspective we know today that there's multiple different brain areas that are involved in in, in coding and retrieval of memories uh, most notable and most famous is the hippocampus. And that hippocampus, uh, so there's some debate about it, what exactly it does, but I think it's generally understood that it was the, the most active area upon first encoding information. And then with time, its role changes. Uh, so it's no, so with time, most of our memories are not as hippocampally dependent. They're, they're not as dependent on the hippocampus. And instead, there's this rich, network of areas in the cortex, in the outer area of the, of the brain, that instead kind of support these memories. And this process of consolidation is basically the process of the hippocampus, this deep area that's subcortical, uh, that's deep in our, in our brains, kind of training the cortex in these new memories. So that's what we think happens during sleep. During sleep, these memories that support these, sorry, these networks that support these memories in the cortex and the in the outer areas of the brain are trained uh, based on the uh, information that is encoded, basically temporarily in the in the hippocampus. That's the that's the main idea that's been around for about um, about thirty years, and the role of sleep is with time um, understood better and better, and we know how some. Um, sleep-specific waveforms, such as the sleep spindle, which I'm sure many of your uh, listeners are, are familiar with, and slow oscillations, how the interactions between these different waveforms creates 
basically the uh, the envelope for this memory trap. It's not exactly transfer because the hippocampus is still highly involved throughout this whole period. But this this communication between these two brain areas is supported by these multiple uh, waveforms and and their and their time course, their their interactions, their co-occurrence. That's basically how we think sleep improves uh, memory, specifically for the process of consolidation. Wow. So sleep is very important for memory consolidation. Does that mean we have to have high quality of sleep to help this memory consolidation? And if we lose sleep or the sleep quality for some reason is poor, so it can hurt our memory somehow? Exactly. And specifically, it seems that slow wave sleep, uh, this the deepest stage of sleep with these uh, in the in the EG, you see these very high amplitude, low uh, low frequency waves. That specifically seems to be most important. Uh, there's a lot of studies linking slow oscillations to a lot of different things, um, not only memory but, but other aspects. But in our field, it's very well established that slow wave sleep is most important, at least for the memories that we call declarative memories. So that uh, those are memories that we can actively and, and consciously uh, bring to mind, such as memories for facts, memories for events in our lives. So at least for these form of memories, slow wave sleep seems to be more important. The I think the, the literature is a bit more muddy about these other forms of memory, such as the emotional valence attached to certain events or motor memories, such as riding a bike or, uh, or such memories. So those memories that are not entirely in the realm of these declarative memories, these are not kind of the classic ideas of what we think about when we think about remembering something. Those might be also impacted by slow wave sleep, might also be impacted by REM sleep. Uh, some studies implicate stage two of sleep, which is this intermediate stage of sleep in which we spend most of our nights. So it's really uh, a bit muddier for that, uh, for those uh, specific uh, types of memories. But the memories that are best, that are that are most studied and best understood, are those declarative memories, and those are are, are supported by slow wave sleep. And to go back to your question, that yes, uh, lack of sleep, I would say socially induced sleep deprivation, which happens quite a bit, those have quite a severe impact on slow wave sleep and and its, uh, its memory uh, purpose. Mm. Huh, so it's interesting. I'm thinking based on the re research, how it can apply to our day-to-day -day life, right? So let me see whether I, I understand this correctly. So if a student gonna have an exam the next day, they need to remember a lot of things. I know a lot of students tend to uh, stay up late and catch up on the sleep, prepare last minute for the exam. Uh, even some students going to pull the all-nighter, right, to study. Uh, but sounds like since sleep is so important, especially deep sleep, which happened on the first half of the sleep. So if someone wants to have a good memory of the facts, of the reasons, they actually should protect their sleep. And yes that can help them remember those facts better. And uh, on the other hand, I'm thinking if someone is really anxious, so the, you know, their brain just cannot shut down. It's hard to fall asleep already. And does that mean the deep sleep is very active for anxious people and uh, they 
tend to be bothered more or somewhat wake up often in the middle of the night because of this memory consolidation process? Um, I, I agree that that being anxious before going to sleep uh, impacts uh, how how well you sleep and how uh, the number of arousals, the uh, sleep efficiency. There's a, a, a nice uh, study that came out, I think, a couple of years ago from uh, Bjorn Rush's group manipulated that um, and, and showed really these severe impacts on sleep efficiency just based on the expectancy of being of being tested the day after. I don't think anybody has really combined these two questions of how that impacts performance in the test, but there are there were studies showing that you know overnight memory consolidation depends on how robust your sleep is and how solid it is, especially deep sleep, how efficient it is. On the one hand, and then these other set of studies that have shown that uh, sleep is less uh, less sufficient um, if you're stressed out. And I would imagine that intuitively that the combination of two would have some severe impacts as well. I would say that it would probably be best to try, if, if possible, if the, if the test is not 8 a.m. or 7 a.m., to try to set it so that you wake a few hours before the test. So don't don't be uh, stressed out about you know waking up too late or missing the test or allow yourself some time to um, uh, to regroup after waking up and before the test, uh, but also preserving your sleep as much as possible. So that I think would provide the nice the the, the envelope for you to uh, sleep sufficiently efficient and um, and move from there. Yeah. yeah so the takeaway, uh, I guess, is just protect yourself. Uh, protect your sleep and sleep enough if you want to perform well with yes. your memories. <laughs> sure. Yes. Yeah. I think one thing you mentioned is very interesting, the stage two sleep. Right. I don't know about here, but I know a lot of Asians, uh, since I work with Asian population more, a lot of Asians carry this idea is deep sleep is the best sleep. We have to try to have as much deep sleep as possible. And you can see even now on social media, media and people talk about, oh, what has a method that can increase your deep sleep. But, you know, stage one, two are more like light stage of sleep, but they are like big chunk of our night. And sounds like there's some research showing the importance of this light stage of sleep can help contribute this memory consolidation process too. So they are important too. Is that right? Yes, so there's some evidence uh, implicating stage two uh, in uh, in motor learning uh, specifically. There was a very influential study by uh, Matt Walker's group in 2002 that showed uh, th that showed that connection. For a lot of the studies that we look at, um, we usually group stage two and stage three, which is slow wave sleep, together under this uh, umbrella of non-REM sleep and look at them together. There is some evidence uh, suggesting that um, slower sleep is, is better than uh, than uh, than stage two, but there's also, I think, a lot, it's it's the, but the boundary between two, anyone who's ever uh, staged a, a night of sleep and looked at the at polysomnography uh, exactly and see the transition, you'd see that it's somewhat arbitrary. It's a fuzzy boundary from one to the other. You start seeing slow waves, um, more and more with with progression, at some point it falls into the stage three or slow wave sleep uh, side of it. But I would say that stage two is, from my perspective, it's a lot of different things. It's not one very homogeneous stage. 
for a lot of purposes, I usually uh, link it together with slow wave sleep um, for a lot of the studies that I do. Mm, I see. Okay. Yeah. Then how about REM sleep, which is our dreaming, right? So if deep sleep or including stage two sleep is for the spectral memory and some motor memory, like our muscle memories, and then we dream and nightmares happen in the dream period. I think nightmares and we have all kinds of stories we are experiencing in dream, right? That feels like must come from memory somehow, right? And in ancient China, we have a saying that you dream is what somewhat you experience during the daytime. If you think about something during daytime, it's more likely you will dream it at night. So what's the relationship between dream and memory then? Ah, great question. Um, so I think I want to break that question into two things. The first is, are dreams impacted by memory? And the second is, do dreams have a function in memory consolidation? So those are two different things. The first question, yes, I think that it's it's um, it's it, there's a very strong impact of memory on dreams. You dream more about what happened to you on the on the day, usually on the day before you went to sleep. There's actually a very interesting phenomenon called the sleep, the dream lag effect. And the dream lag effect shows that you dream a lot about something that happened on the, in the day before, but you also dream more than you would expect by chance of, about something that happened a week before or five to seven days before. So there seems to be like this, if you were to draw this little graph and show when is the most, when is a memory most likely to, to recur in your dream, you'd see the, the strong peak on the day just before you went to sleep. So if you dream a lot about what happened just before, then it kind of goes down kind of almost to zero. You, you don't dream a lot about things that happened three or four days before you're, you went to sleep. And then it suddenly resurges, not to the same degree. It's not a huge bump, but you see this bump happening five to seven days later. So you, you statistically, you dream more about things that happened the week before. Nobody really understands this. It's really... One of those uh, big unanswered questions in the uh, sleep and, and memory literature, but it's pretty well established and replicated. So it's a, it's a very interesting phenomenon that we're still trying to wrap our hands or, head, heads around. So that's about how memory impacts dreams. The second question is, okay, but does dream, do dreams do anything or do they just, they just incorporate things that happen to be in our minds before? And that is despite being a topic of active investigation for um, for decades and more, it's still somewhat of an open question. There are some claims like, uh, so there's a great book that came out, I think it's now two years ago, uh, When Brains Dream by uh, Bob Stickgold and, um, and, and Zadra. Uh, so that, that great book really covered a lot of the basic um, understanding of what we know today and, and states and, and has a, a general claim that dreams are important, not necessarily for memory consolidation, but for creating these new associations. So these new linking something that happened to you recently with some event in the past that might help you interpret it in ways that would, uh, that would increase your creativity, your productivity, in general, your cognition. That's a strong claim. And I think it's the evidence is not quite there yet, though it's very, it's a very compelling uh, hypothesis. And now that it's out there, it's relatively new. I, I would imagine that there will be more and more, um, more and more studies uh, looking into that. 
having said all that, I think that there isn't a very strong case yet right now showing that dreams are, that incorporating memories and dreams makes them stronger, makes them, causally impacts them. Um, So even though they are linked together, it's really not very clear if the dreams do anything for for the consolidation process at this point. Mm. One last thing that I wanted, so that's about dreams specifically, but about REM sleep in general. So this stage of rapid eye movements uh, uh, sleep, um, there are a few studies that do have hypotheses about what exactly it does to memories. I think that the two strongest um, uh, hypotheses that are out there today is that sleep, one, one involves emotional memory. And the idea is there is that REM sleep is involved in kind of the separating of the, the emotion that we feel when we experience an emotional memory from the facts of it. So we remember the facts, but we don't feel as it's a negative memory. We don't feel as evasive. We don't feel as this aversive memory in a way that that makes us relive the bad aspects of it. Uh, this hypothesis also by Matt Walker that I mentioned uh, previous from UC Berkeley uh, is called the sleep to remember, sleep to forget hypothesis. And the idea there is that REM sleep helps you remember the details, but feel less overwhelmed by the emotional aspects of the memory. This hypothesis has been out there for more than a decade now. And there's some support for it, but it's not as strong as we'd like still. I think that hypothesis needs some refinement. Uh, the data is not entirely there, even though I think it's very compelling. Uh, so that's that's with regard to emotional memory. And the other thing is, as I mentioned earlier, the whole aspect of motor learning. And there are a few studies that discuss REM in that context as well, how REM might play a role in consolidating these motor memories, these mo- memories that are non-declarative there's some data about that. In general, I would say it's none of these data is, are as compelling as the data we have for declarative memory and and slow wave sleep. So um, it's still it's still much of a lingering question that that haunts us a lot because REM sleep is in a lot of ways that the state of sleep we get most questions about when we talk to general audience. It's definitely, definitely the one that everybody's very curious about, and we know far um, fewer facts about that um, than about slow sleep, interestingly. Yeah, but that's also exciting, right? That opened doors for a lot of potential research and uh, a lot of new ways to look into that. And hopefully through time, we're going to know more and more about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that it's very it's a very exciting time for REM sleep and for sleep in general, uh, because we uh, we have these new tools, which are uh, that allows us to explore it a bit uh, uh, using better scientific methods. So exciting to know all this new development in the field. So if uh, our listeners want to learn more about your research, your work, where can they find you? So they can find me on Twitter. I am uh, TMR, that's target memory reactivation, TMR underscore at underscore all. So TMR at all, basically. Um, or they can just search my name, obviously. Uh, they can w- visit the lab website as well. Um, so uh, I won't spell that out, but you can just search uh, cognitive neuroscience of sleep, uh, UC Irvine. Um, that will probably be the first result that will that will pop up. Um, and they're welcome to to reach out. I'd love to to hear people's thoughts about uh, these ideas. I'm always uh, always open to discussing these really intriguing ideas. Uh, further with anyone who's interested in exploring them. 
So I hope you like today's interview. Let me summarize some key points. First, if you are trying to remember a lot of facts, then deep sleep is very very important. Second, light stage of sleep is also important, especially for motor memories. So if you are doing gymnastic or you are doing something need muscle memory, try to get more light stage of sleep. If you think light stage of sleep at night actually is bad and you possibly have too much of that, don't worry. It's still very helpful to your health. Third, dream sleep is also very important, especially for emotional memories. And many other types of memory consolidation you need to get enough sleep to make sure you can have enough dream sleep so overall if you want to remember things better then make sure you get enough sleep overall just want to remind you that we have a new youtube channel mind body garden psychology i will put many of the video clips from the interviews there on the youtube On that channel, we will cover a lot of different topics, including sleep health, sexual health, mental health. So, if you are interested in any of these topics, please consider subscribe and follow us on YouTube. You can also subscribe our email newsletter at mindbodygarden.com/sleep. I'm Dr. Ishan. Thank you very much for listening. I will see you next time. Bye. Sleep is an individual thing. We all sleep differently. And there is so much we can do to improve sleep quality. Keep hope and carry on. This podcast is for general informational purpose only and does not include the practice of medicine or other health professional services. Usage of the information we share is at the listener's own risk. And our content does not intend to be a substitute for any medical and professional services, diagnoses, and treatment. Please seek professional health services as needed.